This is the Oracle Podcast, and this is where your story matters. The table is prepared for you. Wishing you Godspeed. My name is Herb Montgomery, and I am director of Renewed Heart Ministries. We are a, a not-for-profit organization here in West Virginia in the U.S., and uh, uh, our, our passion is helping people find their own intersection between their faith and engaging societal justice in all of its varied expressions, um, mm. uh, whether it be racial justice, economic justice, uh, gender justice, LGBTQ justice, um, just, just a, 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 a mirrored, wherever your passion is, wherever uh, injustice impacts you or whether you feel allied with, with uh, systemic injustice, how do people of faith, um, how do they, what's the intersection for them and their faith and, and, and their, their activism? Um, I, I, I grew up as a, a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, single mother, uh, son of a single mother, um, and, and went into ministry pretty young, um, just right in my, right out of my teens, early 20s. Um, in about 2007, uh, I was, t- 20 uh, am i no 30s shoot um uh, yeah yeah so in 2007 we started renewed heart ministries and about uh, a few years into that about five years into that um i was introduced to um the idea of of nonviolence. and nonviolence was uh even though adventism is a peace tradition it, we are classified as a peace church um, because of our stance on, you know, during the draft, uh, uh, being non-combatants uh, or conscientious objectors uh, during Vietnam and World War II, uh, our, our, our stance uh, has labeled us as being a, 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 a peace church. But nonviolence is not um, largely taught nor largely understood within Seventh-day Adventism. Um, it's it, within pockets. Um, but not across the board, at least as I uh, had experienced in my upbringing. And so in 2012, I was introduced to, to nonviolence, the nonviolent teachings of Jesus uh, in the Gospels um, by some Anabaptist friends of mine. And, and it really resonated on a heart level at that stage in my journey with me. And I began to share it. And overnight, uh, the pushback to that was um, pretty intense a lot of objections within Adventism uh, about nonviolence. So that was where my journey to where I am today started. Uh, 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 after that, um, that led to uh, being interested in, in economic justice, Jesus's teachings on poor. All of this started with a, 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 an interview that I did, a radio interview uh, for the first book that I wrote called Finding the Father, where after that interview, I just felt like something was missing. So I went back to the Gospels and I started a journey on trying to get into the headspace of the Jesus in the story, 
um, uh, in the Jesus story and trying to see what his passions were, what his teachings were, what, what were the subjects that he was passionate about. And what I found is that all the subjects that I was passionate about, Jesus never mentioned. And all the stuff that he met, te- was passionate about, I never mentioned, I never taught. So, mm. so nonviolence was happening at that same time. And, and those kind of coalesced. So, so, so uh, that combination of, of uh, becoming passionate about Jesus' teachings of nonviolent led, led me to, to begin to be curious about Jesus' teachings on the poor. And that introduced me to the economic teachings of the gospel. Um, Jesus te- talks about uh, just the poor more than any other subject in the gospels. As shortly after that, I was uh, introduced to um, the, the harmful way that Christians have treated our LGBTQ uh, siblings. And, uh, and that's where things really began to transist for me. Um, if nonviolence and helping the poor or justice for the poor rather, um, uh, created some negative pushback, within the institutional church, speaking out for affirming theology and welcoming churches, affirming churches, um, that's a, a line in the sand for a lot of people that, that uh, a, lot of LG, a lot of Adventists can't, can't go there. Um, uh, maybe they can individually, but institutionally, um, it were, uh, the institution's not there by any means. Um, and so that's when things really began to transist for me. During that time, I started listening to various voices. I began to realize in my search for Jesus how white and how male and how straight my theology had been up until that point. So again, mm. opening myself up to listening to other voices, liberation uh, theologians, uh, like Gustav Gutierrez, the father of liberi- Latin liberation theology, I began to listen to and read authors like uh, James H. Cohn, father of black liberation theology, uh, Dolores Williams, and, and more recently, um, Kelly Brown Douglas and, 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 um, and others, uh, womanist theology, and, and, and opening myself up to, to listening to voices like Brown and Parker with, with feminist theology. And what I began to realize is kind of what Jacqueline Grant says, that, that theology born out of Europe and, and North America has very little to say to the rest of the world. And, 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 and for me, what that meant was that white, colonial, um, straight, male theology, um, uh, it's asking questions and coming up with answers. First of all, it's asking questions from, from from a social location that also determines answers for that social location. Mm. And, 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 and it's irrelevant. It's very irrelevant for the struggles and experiences that most of the planet um, are, are going through. So so today, um, Rune Heart Ministry has gone through a huge transition from being um, a, a fundamentalist conservative ministry focused on God's love to being a progressive um, liberation uh, ministry that's focused on helping people rediscover the liberative teachings of Jesus, regardless of where you're coming from, whether it be what your experience is, whether it be non-male or non-white or non-straight or non-rich um, or, or non-European, um, just helping helping people uh, find that intersection for themselves wow. and and uh, uh, between faith and and, and justice. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Renew Heart Ministry really looks to bringing the Jesus from the Bible actively into our lives, um, the Jesus that exists there. 
Very much so, at least in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus's passion in those stories, when you read it, these, Jesus's passion was not religious. We don't see a Jesus going around trying to get people to say a special prayer so they can go to heaven when they die. We see Jesus actively involved in trying to liberate people from the harm that's being done to them by the systems they're living in in the here and in the now. And, and that's a huge focus shift, a huge emphasis shift for a lot of people in their Jesus. Yeah. So then how the do Jesus we... of the story at times is radically different than the Jesus of religion. Yeah. And then so how, like you being Adventist, you growing up in at least and seeing being in an institution where you see that uh, it differs from especially what you're talking about. Um, why do you think people can say like, what is it about us that we can sit and say that, you know, Jesus is love, Jesus loves all the little children, all the little children of the world, these things like that, yet still put up walls into truly loving people. Like how do, where do we get that? How do we even accept that? Yeah, I, I, I don't understand it myself. I don't understand it, except for this, that I, I sense that a lot of our teachings about grace, a lot of our teachings about love, a lot of our teachings about um, uh, acceptance and non-condemnation, if we're not careful, we have consciences that are working, telling us something's wrong because of the place in the social location that we live in, the social location that we possess. We feel like something's wrong. And if we're not careful, what I mean by a social location, um, an easy way to illustrate it would be with class. You've got upper class and lower class, or you got middle class. Those are different social locations economic locations. When we talk about race, there's different social locations. Um, the more white your skin tone is, the higher you are to the top in our messed up system. Uh, the, the, your anatomy, we talk about gender, your anatomy determines um, uh, uh, where you are in your social location for many people. So, 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 so a lot of us that are in a privileged social location, there's something inside of us telling us that it's wrong and we feel something that, that, you know, and if we're not careful, we'll take the message of love and grace and, and, and forgiveness and no condemnation and all those New Testament gospel Pauline themes. And we'll use it just to help us sleep better at night. Mm. It becomes guilt alleviation. It becomes God loves me. And we stop there because it's enough to pacify our own kind of background sense that something's not right, our need for forgiveness. And we never allow that to translate down into, well, God doesn't just love you. Um, God loves you, but his favorites are the oppressed. His favorites are the marginalized. His favorites are the disenfranchised. His favorites are the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the um, And so we don't, we don't connect those dots. I don't know how you can't if you take um, a, a simple reading of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus' uh, passion for the oppressed and the marginalized. Luke 4, I think, is astounding. Luke 4, 18 and 19, where he says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has um, anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Man, I... I, I I spent many years preaching and hearing lots of gospel sermons within Adventism um, about God's love 
that never mentioned the poor once. It was all about, it was all about God loves you and God forgives you and God doesn't condemn you. And will you embrace that? But how is that good news to the poor specifically? We never make that connection. We never make that jump. Wow. So I don't know how if do, that makes sense. No, never make that, that, that. No, it does. But how does like an institution then like, I, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, what do you think it looks like then for us to be an institution, an organization that meets yet is thinking about those people who are marginalized, oppressed, who are uh, seen as lesser in society, who are uh, struggling. Like, because when, when I think about what you're saying, which is so, I think is so true and exactly what the Bible says, like our whole concept of meeting for a few hours or two hours on Saturday, it's almost like, what's the point? Like, or, or we, it's almost like we're going so opposite of the example Jesus shows us if that's the only thing we do and that's our Christian makeup, meeting for two hours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, well, I, I can say this. Um, institution, I don't know if the institution ultimately is redeemable, but I do believe that something that will aid in redeeming the institution is not the diversity of our congregations, but the diversity of our leadership. If we place marginalized voices, if we place um, people of non-privileged social, who live in non-privileged social locations in positions of leadership, that is a huge step in the right direction. It doesn't guarantee that those voices have not been co-opted by the system, but it does give more um, a probability that 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 the the emphasis the values of the institution and i don't i don't know if that may but we're still a very uh, european very white denomination i know there are sectors of the denomination that are not and it's interesting the things that i've talked about so far are, are old news to non-white adventists you know what i mean they, they they've been saying this for years but but um uh, the Adventism, the sectors that I grew up in, we never talked about these types of things. Yeah. So then, Herb, I got to ask you for your, your personal um, experience on this, especially as a white male um, growing up and being Adventist. How did you come to where you are now? How did you meet Jesus and also understand him truly to be, to unlearn or to not accept kind of the things that were being offered to you so that you could just be comfortable? How did you get there? Yeah, if I... If I can just be fully transparent with you, I didn't go searching for this. Um, it was laid on my doorstep. Um, I was a, a, a camp meeting speaker, uh, speaking at various camp meetings around the nation, um, a, a well-received uh, camp meeting speaker. Also, just um, a, 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 my schedule, my speaking schedule was packed. Someone would call Renewed Heart Ministries and ask and say, we'd like her to come speak at our church. And they would be given a date three years from now that's when I would have an opening to go and speak. So, so, so that's where I was at. There were LGBT Adventists in my audiences were hearing the things I was saying about God's love, God's inclusion, um, God's grace, and, and, uh, 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 and beginning to realize that the God that I was describing for them in my theology was an affirming God for them, but I hadn't connected those dots yet. And so an LGBT friend of mine, a lesbian friend of mine, 
um, who I didn't know was a lesbian. She hadn't come out to me, hadn't told me her story. She had a mutual friend, um, two friends, Deneen Akers and Stephen Ayers. And she contacted them and said, Herb's teaching affirming theology. He just doesn't know that's what it's called yet. And he hasn't made the application to us yet. So what can we do? And at that time, Deneen and Stephen had produced a documentary called Seventh Gay Adventist, which I think most Adventists are aware of today. Yeah, yeah. And this is a very brief story, but, but Deneen contacted me and said, hey, we've got this documentary. We have a mutual friend. I can't tell you who they are, um, but they, would, they, they think you need to see this documentary. Would you be willing to, um, uh, 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 to give it a view? And I said, sure. They said, well, here's how we do it. We do it in theaters. We do, uh, have these viewings, and then we have this group to discussion afterwards, um, uh, you know, here's a list of our viewings. Well, remember, my schedule at that time was so packed. I didn't have openings for three years. So I said, well, here's my schedule. Here's your schedule. Um, it doesn't look like we're lining up anywhere. I don't have free freedom to just leave and go to a theater and, and watch this where you guys are having a viewing. So I said, can you send me the DVD? She says, no, we, we won't do it like that. Two days later, she messaged me back and she said, you know, we thought about it. We're going to send you the DVD. You watch it and then destroy it afterwards because we don't want it to be circulated. I said, I can do that. Two days later, she contacts me again and says, actually, we've changed our mind again. You're going to be in Northern California speaking this summer. We've just rented the theater in that town. We're bringing a viewing to you. We can't, you can't get to us, but we can get you. So it was at a camp meeting in Northern California and uh, a Redwood camp meeting actually. And they rented a theater there in Eureka close by. And I was preaching every night, but during the afternoon they did their viewing and I went there and, and Benjamin, I'm telling you, I felt like Peter in the book of Acts who saw the Holy Spirit mm. present in the lives of uncircumcised Gentiles. Hmm. Hmm. And I said, and it blew my mind that God could be so alive and at work in the lives of LGBT people because hmm. everything that I've been taught, all of the characterization of LGBT people that I had been taught up to that point did not harmonize with the way I was seeing the Holy Spirit in the lives of oh. the people on this screen. Mm -hmm. And I said, if God is, I felt like Peter, if God is not making a distinction between us and them, then who am I to? And, and that started me on a journey of discovering who my LGBT siblings really are, number one, not whom Christianity had told me they were, but who they really were. And, and it was um, LGBT Christians that really introduced me to listening to the theologies and the, the understandings of Jesus from people that were in a different social location than myself. They're the ones that were the starting point for me in transition. It was after that that I discovered racial justice and, and womanism and, and feminist Christianity. And it was after that, through that. And, and I can just say that my Christian LGBT siblings, that I know, they have introduced me to a Jesus like I've never known before. That, that, that they are some of the most beautiful people um, and some of the most beautiful Jesus followers that I've ever encountered. And I will always be indebted to the LGBTQ community for, for showing me a, um, a much larger picture than Jesus. I thought the mm -hmm. world was this big. I thought Jesus and Christianity were this big. And it turns out that it's much larger than I could possibly fathom. Wow. 
Um, I want to ask you a little bit, just following that topic and what you brought up, which is so beautiful. Um, when you look at uh, just, and anyone listening to this podcast, you guys should check out the Jesus for Everyone podcast by Herb and uh, listen to the episodes of Calling Good Evil. And I think that's such a, it's, it really brought a lot of clarity for me. But in discussing it with some other people, um, a big response to the things that you were saying, a big response to the mindset of trying to understand the Bible for its context and its time and timing and stuff like that, going forward, looking at the deeper picture, what does certain things mean, is people will say like, it seems like uh, we possibly are saying that like things that are harmful, like it's like almost like receiving the Bible, whatever feels good. That's what, that's kind of the response. People are saying the danger of that is that, oh, whatever feels good to me is how I take the Bible. Whatever feels bad to me is how I reject the Bible. Um, so how do we explain that to a way that not sound like that? Or is that how it's supposed to be? Like, what is your take on that? Well, there's, there's no escaping that for anybody. There's no such thing as objective theology, number one. White people just get to think they have objective theology. In other words, white male theology, white male straight theology is just called theology at seminary. All the other theologies have adjectives. You have queer theology, you have gay theology, you have uh, black theology, you have feminist theology, you have womanist theology, you have liberation theology, you have all these other kinds of theologies. But the white, straight, rich people, males, get to just call theirs theology. Okay, so I'll throw that objection back on us. What's to say that our theology, we haven't embraced it just because it makes us feel better? just because it helps us sleep better at night. The, 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 the litmus test for theology is not whether you're accepting things that feel good versus things that confront you. The litmus test is number one, what is the fruit it's producing and for whom is it producing that fruit? In other words, Think of the Sermon on the Mount for a moment, or rather the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is a blesser of the poor, but woe to you who are rich. The, the, the poor found Jesus's gospel to be good news. It felt good to them, right? But the, but the wealthy, the elite, those who, who the system had, had left rejoicing and who had left them full, uh, Jesus is saying woe to them. Uh, Pilate, Caiaphas, um, uh, Herod, all of these in the story, even though Jesus was preaching good news, they did not perceive Jesus to be good news for them. It was a threat to them. So how do we know? The question we have to ask is, uh, where, what social location is rejoicing? Is it the marginalized and the oppressed that are seeing this as good news? Or is it the elite and the privileged and the powerful that are seeing the gospel as good news? Because the gospel is going to make either one group or the other feel good. And the gospel is going to make one group or the other feel threatened or feel like they're being harmed. So the question is, who's being harmed? Is it the same audience that was being harmed in Jesus' day? If it is, it goes not true. Who is the, 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 the audience that's being threatened? Is marginalized and oppressed that are being threatened by your gospel? Or is it the elite and the powerful and the privileged that are being threatened by your gospel? If that's the case, then you're in the right story. You're on the right path. You're in the right. It has to look like the Jesus story. It has to be, the, it has to be having the same effect, bearing the same fruit 
as the, the gospel that Jesus, there's a difference between a gospel about Jesus and the gospel Jesus taught. A great example is, is this. Jesus said, um, blessed are you when people hate you and when they, they despise you and they, they say your name is evil. You, you know, people, just because people hate you doesn't mean you're on the right path. You could just be a jerk and people hate you because you're a jerk. The question you have to ask is who is it that's hating me? Who is it that's speaking well of me? Is it people at the top of whatever social strata that we're talking about? Is it people at the top that are loving me and people at the bottom saying that I'm being harmful? Or is it people at the bottom that are saying, yes, this is gospel. And people at the top saying, no, you're evil. You're, 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 you're threatening the status quo. You're challenging. There's too much change potential. Because the Jesus story, remember how it ends. At least in the synoptic gospels, Jesus protests against the exploitation being taken place at the temple. And within a week, the elites and the powerful have him crucified for it. That, 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 that is a, that's the, not the climax, because I think the story ends with resurrection, not execution. But that's pretty close to the end. That's where the story leads up to, that Jesus was a threat. So we have to ask, who is being made to feel good by our gospel, to answer your question. The gospel is going to make somebody feel good. The question is, who's it making feel good? Mm. Wow. A great, um. a great book that'll help with that is uh, Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Um, he, Howard Thurman was phenomenal, but, but his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, I think help us really make the distinctions that I just uh, uh, tried to explain. Yeah, no, I think you explained it very well. Um, but then I, another question I, and a big, just listening to the people around me and people uh, in the, in, in denominational churches or evangelical churches, um, younger people, especially is they see the disconnect between the Jesus in the gospel versus uh, the direction or responses from their own churches, from their home churches, from where they are. Mm. Um, and they don't know what to do. And uh, you know, follow jesus how, how do you but what does that look like in the sense of like you, if you still want a collective you know yeah yeah find your collective find a different collective find 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 your your community um uh, uh, find a you know what i mean and and there may be and i can attest to this it, it may be lonely for a while it may be a lonely road when you're in transition but if you're part of an organization that 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 you see is is um, contradictory to the Jesus you see in the Gospels. You have Jesus's permission. No, you actually have his mandate to find the community of Jesus followers. They may be within your faith tradition. They may be within your denomination. You can find them there possibly, but you have to find them uh, if you want community. So how did you, what was that? So what was that transition for you like to, uh, I mean, and I and I don't even know the full story, but for you to do your own thing and to create, go forward in that, how did you navigate going forward through those times, like you're saying, loneliness that exists, or maybe, I don't know, people doubted you, people made you seem like you're a heretic, et cetera, like that. Oh, yeah. You, how did you go? How did you go forward? How did you navigate through that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, all of that, all of that, what you've just described and and more is is my story. When you start following Jesus, um, those that are, are benefited by the way things are will feel threatened. They will then characterize you as dangerous. They will, uh, they, they will characterize you as a heretic if you're a teacher, if you have the, the, the passion to actually speak out about these things. 
Um, and, and, and there's, I don't know, for me, there wasn't a way around this. It's part of the journey um, uh, uh, of just living with um, the loneliness and the doubt and feeling and questioning and feeling like, uh, uh, did I take a wrong path? Am I, am I? Uh, uh, the voices in your head can be very um, uh, 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 derogatory in those moments of uh, that dark night of the soul where you're feeling like, man, have I, have I gotten off the beaten path? Have I left the straight and narrow? Whatever, whatever uh, the language you use to describe that, um, uh, you know, th that's part of the journey. Um, but something that held me is just continually returning back to the Jesus story and specifically the Sermon on the Plain, Sermon on the Mount. Every time I return to the, the teachings of the Jesus in the story, um, there was affirmation after affirmation that even though at this point in the journey, I may feel alone, that I'm not, that um, I am standing in a stream, that this gospel stream of liberation for the oppressed it goes back way before you. It, it, it stretches back way before you and it stretches far ahead of you. You're just stepping into that stream now. And if you'll just stay there and live in that and be patient, your, your community, it, it, it will surface. It will emerge. Either one of two things will happen. You'll hear other voices that will be saying things that resonate with you and your understanding of the gospel. Or if you speak out, it's actually accelerated, I think, if you speak out, because those who are not part of your community will make sure you're no longer part of their community. And those that are part of your community will hear you and, and, and you'll gravitate towards each other as well. Um, so so I, I, not everybody has the ability to speak out, um, but those who do, it might accelerate that process. Yeah. Um, but it's part of it. It's part of the process. Mm -hmm. Do you think kind of um, that can you still see uh, the love of Jesus throughout the whole entire Bible? Like cause some people try to split it up like, you know, only the New Testament has this type of truth. Only the, only the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have that. Right. But can we still see the loving God uh, that, that is described? Well, the reason I say, right, the reason I say synoptic gospels is because the gospel of John um, it has some good stuff in it, but it also has a very otherworldly focus, a very cosmic focus. Um, it's actually, to the best of our understanding, it's the latest gospel that was written, and a lot had transpired by the time it was written. But um, uh, 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 so, so it's not that we negate it, but I do not subscribe to the belief that the scriptures are monolithic, that they have one voice and they speak one story. Um, the, this is a collection of stories written over uh, 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 just, just thousands of years um, from people in different contexts, different cultures, different social locations. And you have to try test all portions of the scripture to say that just a blanket statement that the New Testament is, is better than, than, than the Hebrew scriptures. First of all, I think flat out, um, the, the, deeply anti-Semitic. 
and, and, and Christianity has a long history of hating on our Jewish siblings. Um, so, so we need to be very careful. There are things that are problematic in the New Testament, just as there are things that are problematic in the Hebrew scriptures. And in the, the Hebrew scriptures, there are things that are just as beautiful as, as, as there are uh, uh, things in, in the gospel story. Jesus, um, one of his geniuses was he had the ability to navigate the Hebrew scriptures and to pick out the portions that affirmed a God of love and to leave out the portions uh, uh, that, that um, example of that is before um, where he's, he's there in the synagogue in Nazareth. And um, this is right when they're about to throw him off the cliff. And he says, the good news, you know, the Lord is, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to present the good news to the poor, liberation of the oppressed, to set the free, prisoners free, and to preach the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops. He doesn't finish Isaiah's statement. If you go back and read the original statement, it's the year of the Lord's favor and the vengeance of our God. So Jesus leaves off the vengeful God stuff there in his teachings. He had the ability to parse the scriptures in a way that was life-giving. And we have to learn to do the same thing. There are going to be portions of the scriptures that can be reclaimed. There are going to be portions of the scriptures that can't be. And we need wisdom to see the, uh, what the fruit is of both and to be able to, to take hold of one, leave the other. And, and, and again, listening to voices of those who are interpretations either harm or help. Um, I think, I think aids us in that process. Yeah. So I don't think it's a cut and dry. I think every book of the Bible, you can find a message of God's love in, and you can find things that challenge that message of God's love. We've got to be wise enough to take the good and leave the rest. Herb, thank you so much. And, uh, it's been such a blessing just to hear from you and just, to. Uh, uh, just have this insight, especially on such real things that are happening around us right now. Um, and we're facing a conflict. I think collectively uh, we're seeing that there's a disconnect or we're mm -hmm. seeing that there's people who are crying out for, for justice, people who are crying out for equality, crying out for things. And it's like, we used to think that that was something that happened before or before we were, you know, before us, that's how it used to be. And we've gone so, come so far, but we look at it and things haven't changed that much sadly. Um, and so just in closing, Herb, um, question to you, if there's people who are listening, who do feel like they need to be motivated to do more, or are feeling that uh, drive in their heart that um, Jesus is a God of justice, Jesus is a Jesus who stands for the oppressed, but they don't know where to start to go forward and to act, or to mm -hmm. share this, this Jesus, what would you say to them? Yeah, um, I well, two things. Number one, um, I have lots of problems with St. Augustine, but one of the things that I still hold on to that Augustine said is that in any of your understanding or interpretations of scripture, the fruit of it must be love of God and love of neighbor. If it's not facilitating those two, then your interpretation or your understanding of the passage or even the passage itself is in error. Um, and so I, holding on to that as the anchor is where I begin. Number two, go back to the Jesus story. Start with Matthew, Mark, and Luke specifically, if your passion is engaging this world. Um, it isn't, it's good. It's just not on that subject primarily. Um, so go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Fall in love with that Jesus. Give that Jesus time. And um, shameless self-promotion 
start listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Start listening to podcasts like yours, you know, where you can further that journey and you can continue that path. Surround yourself with influences that are going to, to affirm that. And in those moments, you're going to find ways, opportunities to express your faith are going to surface in those moments. And, 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 and you'll see them, you'll recognize them. But start surrounding yourself with people that, that are teaching the Jesus that you're finding for those of those who you just described, that are resonating um, with with the, the Jesus that's in you, that's crying out to engage um, injustice on this planet. I, I think that those two things are are are, are uh, hold there as as anchors. Find resources. Um, I've listed a couple of them. And, and remember that whatever you believe about the scriptures or about the gospels or about Jesus, at the end of the day, it has to come down to loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and that, that, that's, what, you know, Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West said it best when he said that justice is just what love looks like in public. And, and Emily Towns, who's a Presbyterian uh, Reverend Doctor, um, I love her statement. If you begin with the idea that God loves everyone, then justice isn't very far behind. You know, th those are the themes. So, so make sure that whatever you're believing or teaching or subscribing to or fellowshipping around or your community is rooted in that, that it's, it's either teaching love of God and or, or, and or love of neighbor. So th that's where I would start.